You guys can turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. A martyr is a person who is killed because of a belief or a principle or a cause that they stand for. There's been lots of martyrs in the history of the human race. There were a lot of martyrs here in this country about 50 years ago in the civil rights movement. Most famous, of course, is Martin Luther King, who stood for equality of the races, who proclaimed that message and was jailed for it in 1968, was assassinated for it. But he's just one of many people who gave their lives as martyrs for the cause of civil rights. This is the Reverend George Lee, a black minister who formed a local chapter of the NAACP to get African Americans registered to vote. He was shot and killed by two white men in 1955 who were never even tried for the crime. This is James Reeb, a white minister who went to Selma, Alabama to join the protest for African American voting rights. He was walking out of dinner one evening in Selma and was attacked by four white men who beat him to death and were never convicted for the crime. This is Viola Luisa, a white woman who went to Selma to help with the protests. She was murdered by the Ku Klux Klan while she was driving a black man from Montgomery to Selma. To participate in the demonstrations. This is Warlist Jackson. He was the treasurer of a Mississippi chapter of the NAACP who was threatened by the Klan. He didn't back down and so they blew him up with a car bomb. This is Jonathan Daniels, a white seminary student, young man who went to Alabama to help out with the civil rights movement. He joined a peaceful protest of white businesses that discriminated against blacks. He was arrested and later shot and killed by an off-duty deputy. What unites all of these people, white and black, young and old men and women? Well, they all were willing to suffer and die for the truth that all humans are created equal. And the important thing to notice about all of these people, they were not naive. They knew the danger of going to Selma at that time, 50 years ago. There were still lynchings happening in the South. They knew that it was incredibly dangerous, incredibly risky to participate in the civil rights movement. But the truth of equality was so important to them. It inspired such conviction in their souls that they were willing to pay the ultimate price for this truth. And 50 years later, we call them heroes because we too believe that there are truths worth dying for. There are some truths that are so important, that are so life-changing, that are so essential to the human race that it would be better to die than to compromise that truth. We believe that there are truths worth dying for, and at the top of the list is a truth we call the gospel. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's start in verse 8. Chapter 1, rather. Start in verse 8. 
Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is a truth worth dying for, but to understand what that statement means, we've got to define what we mean by the word gospel. What is the gospel? Euangelion in Greek, there's actually a lot of gospels in the Bible because there's nothing magical about that word. Gospel just means good news. It's any type of good news you tell someone. And there's lots of different messages of good news in the Bible. But here Paul is talking about what you might call the gospel. Gospel with a capital G. The good news that's actually worth dying for. So what is this good news? Well, Paul tells us it's good news about salvation. Good news about verse 9. God who has saved us. Us. So anytime, we talked about this during the summer, anytime you see the word save or salvation in your Bible, you have to ask yourself, what are we being saved from? What are we being delivered from in this context? Well, we're told in verse 10, we're being saved from death. Christ Jesus who abolished death. So the gospel is good news of salvation from death. But to understand that, we've got to define that last word. What does death mean? You all think you know what death means. But in the Bible, death is a much bigger thing than what you may realize. When you hear the word death or dying, you probably think of physical death. Like the ending of your heartbeat. Last heartbeat in this life, your body dies, you expire. That's physical death. And it would be great news if the gospel saved us just from physical death. Because no one looks forward to dying. That would be great if that was all the gospel was. But the Bible means a lot more by the word death than just physical death. Actually, the Bible tells us that there's three kinds of death that human beings suffer. And physical death is only the first and the easiest. Okay, so there's physical death. Second form of human death that the Bible warns us about is found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're still physically alive. So this is another kind of death. We call this spiritual death. Paul's telling us that all human beings are born into this life with a spirit, a soul that is dead. To be spiritually dead means that you don't have a relationship with God. You're not able to please God. You're not able to do that which is right. All you can do is sin because the spiritual part of your humanity is born, stillborn. It is born dead. So that's spiritual death. That's the second kind of death that human beings suffer from. All human beings are born spiritually dead until or unless they are saved by the gospel. Third kind of death worst kind of death of all is found in the book of Revelation. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The second death is what we call hell. 
It is final separation from God after this life. If your name is not found in the book of life, which is just a fancy way of saying you are not saved. You've not been saved by the gospel. Then after this life, you are separated from God in a real and terrible place the Bible calls hell. And so we look at what the gospel is. It's so much more than just saving you from physical death. The gospel is the incredibly good news of salvation from physical, spiritual, and final death. When you look at what death is, I think it's important for us to recognize from it. In so many sermons, we talk about how we as Christians, we should not fear death. We should not be afraid. Let's pause for a moment and let's recognize That the human race, according to the facts on the board, really should be terrified of death, right? Because death is so much worse than just your heart stopping beating. Death is awful. Death is the end of your physical life, the end of your spiritual life, and final and forever separation from God in a real place called hell. And according to the Bible, that is a a penalty that that we deserve because we're sinners. Paul says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages, the paycheck that we deserve for the lives that we've lived is death in all its forms. We earn that. And God was upfront about that. That's not a surprise. Back in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, If you sin, you will surely die. In Hebrew, you will die, die. You will absolutely die. He warned them. He wasn't kidding. The just punishment, the just penalty, the just wage of sin is death in all its forms. And so the human race should be utterly terrified of death. That's why the gospel is such great news. Because it is a message of salvation from every form of death. The gospel, this good news, it sets you free from physical death. Yeah, you are going to physically die. But if you've been saved by the gospel, death is just a momentary inconvenience on your way to eternal life. There's nothing to to be sad about. And spiritual death, the gospel saves you from that. The gospel regenerates your spirit so that you're alive and able to relate to God and able to please God. And and best of all, the gospel saves you from second death. It saves you from hell. It delivers you from the wrath of God so that you spend eternity with God in heaven rather than separated from him in hell. The gospel is the incredibly good news of salvation from death in all its forms. And Paul gives us some important details about this salvation in the verses that we've read. Verses 8 through 10, they get into a lot of really crucial and fascinating details that are worth looking at for a second so that we understand this incredibly important good news that's worth dying for. So the gospel, this good news, Paul tells us, first of all, what it is that saves us. Now, if you ask most Christians, what saves you? And you're talking about heaven or hell, that kind of salvation. A lot of them are going to say faith. It's my faith that saves me. That sounds like a great Sunday school answer that is wrong. Totally wrong. Sorry. (laughs) It's not your faith that saves you. What is it that saves you? A person named God. Who saves you? It's God who saves you. And that's really good news because our faith wavers. There's some days when I wake up and I totally, absolutely, 100% believe in God. And there's other days when I wake up and I'm not so sure. 
Something's going wrong in my life or my family or there's some tragedy and I struggle with doubt. And if it was my faith that saved me, then that would be a really bad day because my faith is faltering. But it's not my faith that saves me. It's God who saves me and God never falters. That's why you don't ever have to fear doubt. Doubts happen. It's okay. It's not your faith that saved you. It's not your faith that keeps you saved. It's God who saved you and God who keeps you saved. So God saves us. Second question that Paul asks and answer, why does God save us? What is it that motivates the creator of the universe to save sinners like us? Look again at verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. His own purpose and grace, really you could translate that, his own purpose of grace, his own choice, his own desire to give you grace. What motivated God to save you? He felt gracious towards you. He wanted to give you grace. So what is grace? Well, the fancy theological term is unmerited favor, but what does that actually mean? It means you give something good to someone who doesn't deserve it. When God, in eternity past, looked forward in time and saw you, because he sees all things at all times, he saw you by name, he knew exactly who you would be, he looked at you from eternity past and felt in his heart a desire to give you good that you didn't deserve. He felt gracious towards you. And that grace in the heart of God motivated him to save you. So it's not your worthiness. It's not God in eternity past looking forward, seeing you and thinking, wow, what a great person that is. I would like to do good. No. He looked into the future and saw that you weren't worthy, just like I'm not worthy. But in his heart stirred this loving desire to give good, to give grace, to give a blessing to people like us who don't deserve it. So it is grace in the heart of God, not our works, not our merit, not even our faith that motivated the creator to save us. So God saves out of a motive of grace. Third question, how does he save us? Verse 10, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He saved us through Jesus, through Christ. The appearing, when he uses the word appearing, he's talking about the incarnation. The second member of the Trinity, the eternal son of God, took on human flesh and he became one of us. To become, the reason that Jesus came was so that he could become our savior. And that word looks at the cross. That's Jesus hanging on that ancient Roman Roman crucifix, taking our sins and our punishment, our death that we deserved. He took it for us. So that he could save us from death in all its forms. And then he rose from the dead. Why? Tells us in verse 10. So that he could bring to light the hope of immortality. The hope of eternal life. Indestructible life. Jesus took on flesh and died for us and rose for us. So that we could have the hope of life. He defeated death for us by dying in our place. So that we could have life. And that begs the final question. So what must we do? How do we get that life from Jesus? How do we get his victory over death? Well the answer is simply believe. That's that's all you got to do. You just have to believe. You just have to take it on faith. 
that Jesus really did die in your place and rise from the dead. In the book of Acts, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison in a city called Philippi. And an earthquake happens and they could have gone free, but they choose to stay in the prison. And the guard, the the guy who runs the prison, is so overwhelmed by the fact that these prisoners, Paul and Silas, didn't run away, that he comes to them, he brings them out of the prison, and he asks, Sirs, Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved, to be delivered from death and all its forms? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. That's all it takes. You just really have to believe. That Jesus actually died for you, actually rose from the dead so you could have eternal life as a free gift. So the gospel is not about good works that you do. The gospel is about good works that Jesus has already done. And the gospel isn't about promises you make to God. You don't come to God promising to reform your life and clean up your life. The gospel is about promises God makes to you. The gospel is all about what God has done for you. It's not at all about what you have done or ever will do for God. All you must do to be saved is simply believe. You just have to say to God, God, thank you. Thank you that though I am a sinner who deserves death in all of its forms, you have out of love, out of grace, sent your son To die for my sins and rise from the dead so that I could have life as a free gift. Thank you, God. The moment you say that, you are saved now and forever. You are delivered from death. Physical, spiritual, and eternal. So, is there something holding you back from that belief? I've talked to a lot of people who struggle to believe the good news of the gospel for one reason or another. I want to invite you, actually the, the favorite part of my job, most favorite thing that I do is not this, this is alright, but my favorite thing is when people who are struggling to believe the gospel come and talk to me. Or write me a letter, send me an email, I would love to sit down with you and help you work through your doubts, work through your objections. Maybe you just don't like it at all, that's fine, you won't shock me, you won't offend me. Let's talk about what's keeping you from belief. Because the moment you believe the good news about Jesus, that you are delivered from physical, spiritual, and final death. That's the good news of the gospel. It's such incredibly good news that it really is actually worth dying for. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that the greatest enemy of mankind, death, has already been defeated. Jesus has already won the victory and he shares that victory with all who simply say, yes, I want that, I believe. That's incredibly good news. So let's compare for a moment. The good news that we started this sermon with, the good news of equality, that all races are equal in the eyes of God. Let's compare that with the good news of the gospel. Okay, the good news of, of equality, of civil rights, that is a message that is worth dying for. That's a very important message. But do you notice that message, as great as it is, is nowhere close to as important or good as the message of the gospel. Why? Because this message can only deliver us from a symptom of the problem, racism. This message, the message of the gospel, can deliver you from the cause Sin and the fear of death, it is the only message in the universe that can deliver the human race from sin and death. 
And so my point is not to disparage civil rights. It's to say if people were willing to die for this message, how much more should we be willing to suffer and die for the message of the gospel? There is no truth on earth as good as this truth. Nothing as worthy of you dying for as the message of the gospel. Because this is the only message, the only truth that can set human beings free from sin and death. Peter tells us in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. This is it. The good news of the gospel is the only hope for the human race. So there is no social cause, there's no political cause, there's no economic cause, there's no environmental cause that can hold a candle to the gospel because all they can do is fix symptoms. Only the gospel can deliver you from the root cause, sin and death. So the gospel, the good news that there is salvation from death through Jesus is a message that's worth dying for. So now let's get practical because I don't think any of you are standing in front of a firing squad this afternoon being told to renounce your faith in Jesus or die. Since we are not martyrs yet, what exactly does God want us to do today with this message of the gospel? Well, a couple things. Just getting really practical. What exactly is Paul telling us to do? Well, the first thing that he's saying to do with this truth that's worth dying for is to share it boldly. He says in verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony, that is the gospel of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Share it boldly without shame. Well, why would we be ashamed of the gospel? Well, because the gospel says a lot of shameful things. If you understand the gospel accurately, you see a lot of offensive things in it. Because the gospel, it tells us that we are sinners who deserve to go to hell. Nothing will shut down a party quicker than telling everybody they deserve to go to hell. (laughs) No one wants to hear that. That's a message that we find in this culture to be incredibly offensive, incredibly unpopular. I was in senior English in high school and we read a number of uh, books and then we're having a dialogue, a debate about them. And the teacher brought up a question, are human beings basically good or basically evil? I believe that we're basically evil, basically sinful. That's the only way this sermon would make any sense. So I raised my hand, looked around and realized I'm the only one. Everybody else in the room was sure that all people are basically good. I felt pretty embarrassed in that moment. It's shameful when we tell people that we're sinners who deserve hell. And as shameful as that is, even worse is when we tell people the only way to escape hell is to believe in Jesus. The exclusivity of the gospel is incredibly offensive. People get angry over that. I was in science class. I think it was chemistry. My memory fails me in ninth grade. And there was an acquaintance there sitting next to me who was not the nicest guy. Um, He liked to give me a hard time because I was a Christian. He was not. And so before the teacher walked in, all the students were all sitting in our desks. And he turns around and he says loud enough for the whole class to hear, So, Blake, you believe she, and he points to the girl next to me who was a good friend of both of ours and was avowedly not a Christian. He says, Blake, you believe she's going to hell, right? What am I going to say in that moment? She'd already very publicly said she's not a Christian. I had very publicly said what my beliefs were. I felt incredibly embarrassed. I felt shame in my beliefs because the gospel is shameful. 
in the eyes of this world. It's always been that way. It was that way in Timothy's days. Jews found the idea of a crucified Messiah to be offensive. Gentiles, that's everybody else on earth, found the idea of resurrection to be laughable. And so it is always embarrassing to hold on to the gospel because the gospel is always shameful in the eyes of the world. And the result of that shamefulness of the gospel is the rest of verse 8. Timothy, will you join with me in suffering for the gospel? If you boldly share a message as offensive and embarrassing as the gospel, you will suffer. You will be ridiculed. You will be humiliated and embarrassed in the eyes of people who you do business with, who you live with. You will lose friends. You will lose acquaintances. You may lose status at work. You may lose a promotion. Or even worse, if you boldly share the gospel. So the question is, are you willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel? If the gospel really is the only truth that can set the human race free from death, are you willing to suffer humiliation, ridicule, and shame for the sake of sharing it? I was thinking about this idea this week, and I realized that I, I, there's a part of me that really thinks that I could die for the gospel. You know, I'm a guy, so I kind of imagine what would happen if like, I, I got captured by ISIS, and I'm standing in front of ISIS soldiers, and they tell me to renounce Jesus or I die. I can actually imagine myself shouting John 3.16 while they fill me with lead, and it's amazing, and they make a movie out of it. Like I can, I can picture that. I really can't say that I'm willing to die this decisive moment of martyrdom for the gospel. But here's the question, am I willing to live for it? Am I willing to endure shame and humiliation day after day after day by taking a stand for this offensive message? In some ways, that's far harder. Decisive moment of martyrdom, it's over. But day after day. Will you be embarrassed? Will you be humiliated? Will you suffer that ridicule for the sake of sharing this message? Well, if you do the math, if I do the math in my head and I realize, well, this one message is the only thing that can save the human race from sin and death, then yes, yes, let us be willing to suffer humiliation and shame if only to keep one more soul out of hell because that's what's at stake here. And so Paul challenges us, be willing to share the gospel boldly, even though you will suffer ridicule and humiliation and loss of friendships and all kinds of other things to share this offensive message. Let's be willing to share the message of the gospel. I like the words of Martin Luther King Jr. I think they fit perfectly here. The ultimate measure of a man or a woman is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The gospel is challenging. The gospel is controversial. Are you willing to stand for it and speak it even when you suffer? So first practical application, share the gospel boldly. Second practical application, Paul gives us guard the gospel zealously. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me and the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Those two verses are parallel. 
they say roughly the same thing. Verse 13, retain, that, that means to hold fast, grip onto it tightly. Don't let go of the standard of sound words. That's a fancy way of saying the gospel. The truths of verses 8 through 10, hold tight to them. Same idea in verse 14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The treasure, that treasure is the gospel. Most valuable message ever entrusted to the human race. Guard it. That word guard in Greek it was used for protecting a palace from attackers or guarding your possessions from thieves. Will you guard the gospel? Will you protect the gospel? The good news of the gospel is a message that needs to be protected because it is always under attack. The gospel is always under attack in this world because, again, it is offensive. It is shameful. It does embarrass us to believe these truths. And so what are churches tempted to do? In the midst of that embarrassment, in the midst of that offensiveness of the gospel, how do so many churches respond? Well, they water it down. They strip out all the offensive parts so that they can get along better with the world. And so you will see church after church here in America saying, well, Jesus is a great way to God, but not the way, just a good way among many If you happen to like that kind of thing. Or they might say, well, sin is only the really bad stuff like murder and rape. As long as you don't do that kind of stuff, you're okay because God wouldn't condemn a nice person like you. Or they might say, hey, all that judgmental stuff in the Bible that makes you kind of squeamish, the mean stuff, well, that's not from God because that's not what God is like. That is the the opinions of ancient superstitious people. Just focus on the loving stuff because God is love. That's the only stuff from God. And church after church across America, all of the offensive parts of the gospel are stripped away. They are sanded off the gospel so that Christians can get along better with the world. Feel more comfortable in the world. Well, that makes sense. It seems like a great strategy until you read the book of Galatians. And you see what Paul said about that idea. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. That word accursed is very weak in English. Literally, Paul is saying, God damn anyone who would twist or distort the gospel for the sake of convenience. Paul is angry. Paul is like Jesus whipping money changers in the temple angry. Because there's nothing that makes God angrier than when we take this incredibly important good news, the only thing that can set free humans from sin and death, and we distort it and twist it to make ourselves more comfortable in this world. That infuriates God. And so we must not let ourselves lose the simple, offensive truth of the gospel. We cannot compromise on this. We must defend the gospel at all costs. Now, a lot of you know me. You know that I'm not a fire and brimstone kind of guy. I'm relatively gracious. I'm okay with lots of people. In fact, I'm friends with lots of people who disagree with me. But this one issue, this one issue we cannot compromise on. Grace Bible Church is here for another 50 years. I'm sure there's a lot of things that will change, but not this. We must be willing to die on this hill. That the gospel is offensive. The gospel is humiliating. If you share it with people who do not believe and they are not offended and they are not ridiculing you, then you're doing it wrong. 
The gospel is shameful because it tells us that we are sinners who deserve hell and whose only hope is to trust in a God who took on flesh to die in our place and rise from the dead so that we could have eternal life. Are you willing to stand for that truth? As the men go back to prepare communion and as the band comes forward, let's clarify with one last point. As we share the gospel boldly and as we defend the gospel zealously, let's make sure that we do it out of an attitude of love. Paul says, if you look at verse 13, retain the standard of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It's okay to get angry. When the world ridicules the gospel. It's okay to get angry when people distort the gospel. But we can't respond in hate. We need to respond like Jesus. We need to respond in love. Even towards our enemies. We're told in, uh, by Peter in 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we share the gospel boldly, we defend it zealously, and yet we do it out of respect, out of love for others. Are you willing to take that kind of stand for the offensive message of the gospel? We're going to give you some time to think about that as we celebrate communion this morning. I'm I'm very glad that it's communion today because what communion is is an opportunity for us as a family to remember what Jesus did for us. Communion is our chance to say thank you to God the Father who gave us his son. Our opportunity to say thank you to Jesus who gave us his life so that we could have eternal life. And so what I would ask you to do during this time of communion, let's reflect for a little bit and let's think about our lives. And in a moment when the the elements of communion are passed, I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to think of a time in the last year when you had a chance to share the gospel or to talk about Jesus at least a little bit and you didn't because of fear or embarrassment. I'll I'll be honest, I've done that. Okay, so you're not alone. We all chicken out from time to time. We don't take that opportunity to talk about Jesus, to share our testimony, to share the gospel because we fear what people will think of us. I want you to be honest as you go before the Lord during communion. I want you to confess that. I want you to admit that to God. God, I'm, I'm so sorry that I didn't take advantage of that opportunity. So confess that sin to God because that is sin when we chicken out of sharing the gospel. And then really the focus of this time of communion, after you've confessed that to God, I want you to begin to pray that God would make you courageous, that God would inspire you, that God would help you to be bold like a martyr for the faith. They would help you to be willing to suffer each and every day to share the offensive message of the gospel. Pray that he would help you to love the gospel so much that you would be willing to pay the price to share it. Men, if you want to come forward, let's spend some time confessing our cowardice to the Lord and asking him to make us brave. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. We thank you that your Son was willing to become one of us, to take on human flesh with all of its limitations, with all of its humiliations. We praise you that he was willing not only to be one of us, but to take our place, to die on our behalf. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to be beaten and whipped and crucified so that we might be set free from sin and death. Thank you that you died so that we might live. We praise you, Lord Jesus, that death couldn't hold you down, that you rose from the dead, defeating our greatest enemy once and for all. We praise you for that good news. We ask you, Heavenly Father, help us to so clearly and passionately believe in that good news that we would be willing to suffer any humiliation for the sake of telling someone about Jesus. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would forgive us for our cowardice. I pray that you would forgive us for our selfishness and our pride that chose comfort over the opportunity to share the gospel with someone who needs Jesus. We ask for your forgiveness, Father. We have so often sacrificed truth on the altar of comfort. We pray, help us to never do that again. Please instead fill us with your spirit and give us the boldness of Jesus Christ that we might go from here and share the good news about him with anyone who will listen. That we would be willing to suffer not only death but daily humiliation and ridicule and embarrassment and shame for the sake of sharing the message of the gospel. We know it is offensive to this world but it is offensive because they are perishing so we pray that your spirit would break through the darkness of their souls and would open their eyes to see the beauty and truth of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would use us, Heavenly Father, and you would use this message of the gospel to save countless millions men, women, and children in this world. We know that you can do that. We pray that you would. We thank you that you are a gracious God who desires salvation over punishment. We praise you that you love us, not because we are worthy, but because you are good. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you've done. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Now, if you'll stand, let's continue in worship together. Mm -hmm.